Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. But it takes you a lot longer to get baptised. Like a person yes. would be studying for like six months to a year before they're allowed to get baptised. But they still count you as members. So there's 8 million Jehovah's Witnesses in the world. And that's count, That's counting all the, even the ones that are not baptized. Those are those who go preaching door to door. Or those who are on the way to getting baptized. Or maybe they did only one hour that month in the whole year, but they still count them. Wow. So I don't know what the real numbers actually are <laughs> when you take that into factor. Yeah, I'm sure it's lower. Um, I mean, Mormons, they count 17 million right now, okay? But uh, they only have like 20% activity rate. So you're talking like, well, maybe a little bit more than that. But they reckon there's like four or five million active Mormons around the church, around the world, not 17 million like they like to say, because they count. Yeah. Everyone who, so if someone's moved, they'll count them until they're 100. Um, so just in case, like, they're not dead or if someone, even if someone's, like, uh, takes their names off the records and, like, leaves the church, I think they still count them. And and there's a lot of people, there was a whole scandal um years ago, like back in the eighties where uh, missionaries down in South America, in Chile, places like that would be um, setting up baseball, it's called baseball baptisms or soccer. And they'd set up groups where the Americans would run like soccer classes or baseball and all the kids from the community would come in and they would say to them, okay, if you want to play for the team, you've got to get baptized. And they'd take them without the parents' permission and stuff and just baptize them. Yeah. And they were baptizing hundreds and hundreds of kids, um, you know, a week for a while. Uh, so there's a lot of people that probably got baptized, never even knew what the church was, just wanted to play baseball with these American kids. And, oh. you know, so there's a lot of people counted as Mormons that probably don't even know what Mormonism is in South America. Yeah. I don't know, but it never made sense to me. Like, you know, why don't Jehovah's Witness, like, why don't you go preaching after you get baptized? But it kind of works in their favor because like, let's say they do something wrong or they make the church look bad. They could say, Oh, well, they're not baptized. They're not a Jehovah's Witness. They'll oh, say okay. they are not a Jehovah's Witness. But then, they do count them as Jehovah's Witnesses if it comes to numbers. Like, oh, we have seven, I mean, we have eight million Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's clever accounting, isn't it? So yeah, I, mean, I think, I, I think the thing is like, if they can get you to go door to door, it's like, you're already so invested in it and you've already studied so much with them. You've taken so much time out of your life that it's like, well, you might as well go further. You're already this far. What's yeah. one more farther? Go the whole hog. <laughs> yeah, and then you get baptized after you're already committed. Yeah. So if you knocked on a door, someone came to the door and said, 
I'm an active Mormon. Like, where do you go from there? Do you just say, okay, see you later? Um, or so, so I know in, I the, say, in the, the that's book, interesting. No? That's interesting. I would tell, I would tell him, um, that's good to see that you have a religious background. You know, it's hard to find people that have that, that religious desire nowadays. Wouldn't you agree? And then this reminds me, and then you, or you could tell them, um, but there's a whole bunch of conversation stoppers. If they tell you no, how to get them to change their mind. In the book, the, the little, it's maybe not a book anymore. Maybe it's online. Um, but when I was a missionary, I got a hold of the book of reasoning. It's not called that, but that's how I remember it. Yeah. Reasoning, but the reasoning book, reasoning yeah, with the scriptures. That's it. Reasoning with the scriptures. And in the big, at the front, it's got the whole like script of what to say if someone says I'm a Muslim or and what points to talk about. And I thought that was interesting because as a Mormon, you don't get any of that. They send you out and you just like make mistakes and say things that aren't <laughs> true. Um, but I was, I was, I think you guys get it right in that respect that the, the council, like, this is what you say. Yeah, like, and that book came in handy because I read it inside and out. Yeah. Like, so when I was a, a JW youth growing up, I was going through troubles because my parents divorced. But that's when I started to draw closer to God or to my religion. And I started researching more, studying more, you know, the religious, the Jehovah's Witness materials, the publications. Mm -hmm. And you know, it was helping me with the divorce or it was helping me to, um, to learn why I believe in my faith. Okay. And so it was like solidifying my faith. And especially when you have this book that says, Oh, here's what this religion believes. Here's why they're wrong. Here's what this religion says or believes. This is why they're wrong. Or if someone says this, this is what you say to them in response. So you have a response for, for every religion or every um, argument that you could hear almost. Yeah. So what was your go-to with Mormonism? If someone was to say, tell me why Mormonism isn't true and you're right, what what's your go-to? Well, um, I would tell them that first we would try to get common ground. That's step number one. Yeah. Like, well, I'm glad you have a spiritual yearning. It's yeah. hard to find people that way. And how do you feel about the Bible? What do you believe about the Bible? And, and then you try to get common ground, or you might say, to maybe talk to them about happy family life, or are we living in the last days? So something that we can get common ground about. Yeah. And then when they say, yes, we believe that too. And then the conversation can go from there. Yeah, Mormons don't believe in the Bible. Which they say they do, but they don't. Um, yeah, and that irritates Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah, um, I remember the the biggest line that would irritate us is, "Oh, I only believe in the Bible as far as it is translated correctly." And they still use the King James version. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, the whole the whole religion hangs on the fact that the Book of Mormon is 
the Book of Mormon makes up what the Bible has lost in translation. Um, but then Jehovah's Witnesses say they believe in the Bible, but in reality, like, they would believe the same thing. They don't believe the Bible's translated correctly. That's why you need to have their Bible or the New World Translation, yeah, their translation. I, but they but they won't say we don't believe it's not translated correctly. They won't say that. They'll say we believe all Bibles, versions. We use all versions. We can find the truth in any version. Yeah. Well, what I always used to say to Jehovah's Witnesses is, like, you have missing scriptures. So we have more, but you have less. Because the argument I always used to get was, no man can take or add to the scriptures. And they'd say, you are adding. So I would say, but you are taking, you know, because yeah. I think it was like John 5, 4 or something like that was my go-to. Yeah where I'd say, can you read John 5, 4 for me? And they'd open the New World Translation and be like, oh, and I'd be like, yeah, it's not there, you see? You're taken away. Yeah, and like we would tell them that here in the Bible in Revelation, it says don't add anything, but there's, but I didn't realize that there was other Bible books that are written after Revelation. Yeah. <laughs> so then it's like you're adding to it. If, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because the Bible's only like the 66 books that were chosen to go into the Bible. There are other books that were written before, other books written after, you know, the Apocrypha, different things like that, that people don't use. So what you need to, I guess, agree is that the divine mission of the men that chose the 66 books, I think it's 66, uh, that make up the Bible, like they must have been divine and of God because that wasn't everything. They didn't just lump everything in. And that was what I always believed growing up. It was a huge shock for me. This is one of the, probably the biggest discoveries in my life <laughs> was that like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John was not written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, <laughs> and John. Like that's tradition like centuries later. Yeah, that those names were given, but when you look at the original manuscripts—I mean, not the original, but the the earliest manuscripts that we have available—it doesn't say Matthew, it doesn't say Mark, it doesn't say Luke or John, and it's nope. and it's like that with other books of the Bible too. And it's probable that Paul only wrote half of those. Yeah, and books out of the sixteen, like these, this was a huge shock for me. Yeah, and and these books like the books that uh, like Matthew, Mark, Luke and John weren't written like verbatim. No one was sat there with, uh, you know, a quill and some parchment writing down the words of Jesus. It was oral history and written down 60, 70 years later. And you imagine how stories change over. Six and it was a different years. language. Like, cause Jesus, he's, he's, he spoke Aramaic. Yeah. And is which means it had to be translated into Greek. So even, and when you translate it, you know, it's, it's not the same as the original. And then yeah. you're going off oral history, oral, you know. Well, it's even worse when it comes to Abraham and Moses and stuff, because that's like thousands of years of oral history, you know, talking about things that were like two, 3,000 years before the person who's actually yeah. writing it down. 
and you're like, I'd sit at church and people would be arguing in Sunday school or the teacher would be making a special point on listen to the exact words of Jesus at this point and the way that he phrases this. And he's very careful in his words. And I'm sat there pulling my hair out, literally thinking those aren't, you, you cannot guarantee those are the exact words of Jesus and that he said it in a very individual way, shaping the conversation. He said this first, yeah. then that. It's just someone's best memory of what's going on. Yeah, different language, different, <laughs> you know, and then when, when you tell one person and that person tells another person and that person tells another person and, and then the, the writers of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they didn't even know Jesus. Like they never, I mean, they're not eyewitnesses. I mean, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is what it is. A lot of people yeah. believe it. A lot of people don't crazy each their own at this point. Um, but yeah. Uh, John Barnsley with an interesting one here. Um, the writers of the gospels use the names of the disciples to give their work validity. And I think a lot of them were copied from Mark, I think it is. Um, yeah, Mark was the earliest one, like the yeah. original source. And I mean, it's interesting to study the, you know, how the Bible came into existence. It's like yeah. one of my favorite things to, to study and read about. Yeah. Um, cool. Seraphus Storms had a point. There's nothing to prove that the books weren't written by who they're attributed to. Also, we can reconstruct the original manuscripts because of variations. Um, so that's an interesting, I guess, point of view. Um, I would say that there are probably scholars out there who have proven it, but I'm not sure at this point, so I'm not going to put I'm not going to say you're wrong, Seraph. I'm not going to say you're right. Um, so, mm -hmm. but thank you for commenting. I think it's a very good point. Um, so, I've got an image that you sent me here. Let's let's uh, see this. This is you in your, I guess, heyday. <laughs> JW.org. You look so good. You look like a, a a good missionary. If you if your shirt was white and you had a little black tag on, um, then you'd be an amazing missionary well, i have a tag this is my tag well um, a lot of jw's they actually didn't white, wear white and okay i'll tell you why well in utah i mean because we did not want to be mistaken for mormons there you go and we wanted to distinguish ourselves so most jw's don't wear white when they go preaching out in service and then as for this other this other guy in the picture he was in the spanish speaking group so the majority of Spanish speakers in Utah aren't Mormon. So it's okay for him to have a white shirt. Okay. Well, I think it's, it's okay too. Cause he's having a bad hair day with that big uh, <laughs> blur. Poor guy. Um, so, but you have these stands, like I found it much easier to be around Jehovah's witnesses. Now that they have the little stands, you know, the ones on like a trolley, um, where yeah. they'll just stand on a street corner or something with their little trolley, and unless you go and talk to them, they won't talk to you. Whereas, as a Mormon, I'd stand on a street corner, and everyone that came past, I'd badger them. 
I'd be like, uh, do you want to be a Mormon? Yeah. I think it, the reason for that is because in some places, I don't, it differs from area to area, but in some places they need to get permission from whoever owns that property or that land. Yeah. And so if they start badgering people, then they could lose that permission to be there. Or if there's any complaints, then I don't know, the city or someone will tell us we can't be there. I don't know how it works. I think technically it's supposed to be like public. We can do whatever we want, but I mean, the direction is don't badger people because they don't want to get some bad reputation, I think. And so they try to encourage you to just let people go to you. Oh no, as a Mormon, you would be told it takes on average seven contacts before the person will listen and accept the gospel. So you need to be one of those contacts. So even if they're not bothered oh, wow. that day, you're one of those contacts counting towards the seven. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's... But, but don't get me wrong. Like, So there's JWs that stand there, but then there's other JWs who are, I don't want to say secret shoppers. I don't know. They're, they're informally... They're not at the stand, but they're walking around the streets okay. to try to start a conversation. And yeah. then after they start an informal conversation that's not about religion, then they can say, oh, by the way, I'm a Jehovah's Witness. Oh, did you see our stand over there? We have some books. So it's all part of the yeah the plan. I don't know. Yeah. Well, yeah, Mormon missionaries, they just put you out there. You stand in the street. And you just try and stop everyone. Um, and yeah, can I talk to you about Jesus Christ today? And you can imagine how that goes. So, but a lot of missionaries now work through Facebook and Instagram and things, and they message people. Or a big one is they'll go on like local community pages and they'll say, Oh, me and my friend want to come and do free yard work. Who wants yard work? And loads of people will respond, yeah, come to my house. And then missionaries show up at the house and they'll do the yard work. But whilst they're doing the yard work, they'll talk to you about being a Mormon um, and use that as their in. Yeah, they did that for my great aunt. They said, she's like, oh, I'm too busy to listen right now. I'm making a cake for a party. And they said, can we help you make the carrot cake? <laughs> and then they helped her make the cake. She, they helped her clean. So yeah, she loves the missionaries. You know what though? I found service was the best part of the week. When I was a missionary, they limited you to four hours of service a week because I would have done service all day, every day, rather than knock on doors or talk to people on the street because it was so, I found it so awkward. And so like in just intruding on people's days, you know, you'd knock on a door and people would be doing something before you knocked on the door. But you're like, no, let me in, <laughs> said the spider to the fly. Um, that was just me. Yeah, yeah, I can relate. Yeah, it, it's really hard to knock on people's doors and talk to them about religion. I mean, they, they teach Jehovah's Witnesses every week how to talk to people. They have lessons and everything. But it's still hard. And... Sometimes I would wonder, like, oh, what am I doing out here? And I would think to myself, like, no one listens. 
or they have their own religion and they, all these people um, they were really zealous for the religion just like Jehovah's Witnesses and yeah. Yeah, they wouldn't change most most of the time. So, did you ever convert any Mormons? Uh, most of the ones that that I've helped are just ones that maybe I. I mean, the biggest way Jehovah's Witnesses grow is by having children. Yeah, and then sometimes there'll be a children that doesn't have a father figure, or maybe they don't have someone to take them under their wing and so they I did a lot of that like I would help young people take them under my wing or I would um, sometimes I would give them lessons since their dad couldn't do that for them or or maybe they just grew up around it a little bit and they're, they're sometimes there's parents that they didn't attend the kingdom hall but they wanted their kids to go so they would make their kids have studies yeah Fair enough. Um, so, you would preach to your, I think you, you sent me a note saying that you once preached to your school <laughs> friends. How did that go? Well, let me, before I say that specifically, let me just say, so after my parents separated, I started getting more and more into the religion. I started believing it more and more and studying every day, reading the Bible every day. And like, even when my parents stopped attending the, the church, I was going alone without them. Like I was taking my younger siblings with me to, to church because that's how much I believed in it. And so, but like, yeah, when I was in school, you know, I would preach to my, my schoolmates, like on the bus, I'd be in middle school, um, and whoever I sat with on the bus, maybe I'll share like some literature or I'll start a conversation. Or, yeah. <laughs> I bet you were popular. Yes, I was. <laughs> <laughs> and oh. I would study. So like ever since the age of like 15, 16, that's when I started studying Mormonism, like at home. I would read about Mormons online. I would read all the arguments against them because I, when I preached to my territory, I wanted to be ready. I wanted to know why the Book of Mormon wasn't true or what I can say. And so these are, and I would share these things with my classmates or schoolmates. And I mean, I remember one time I told one, one kid that, hey, the Book of Mormon doesn't agree with like science you know like there wasn't even horses at that time yeah and until the 16th century or whatever and so the like how could that be possible and his answer to me as a middle schooler was well there was a time we thought the earth was flat so just because science says something doesn't mean it's true oh classic <laughs> and now they think it's flat again did you know that <laughs> Did what? you know? So now people think it's flat again, but Mormons are flat earthers. You can use this one. Really? Yeah, right. Okay. So um, most people who believe the Bible, so probably Jehovah's Witnesses as well, are flat earthers, but they don't realize it because 
they talk now about the globe and different things. But back when the Bible was talking about um, the foundations of heaven and the firmament and the waters. This was shock number two. This is shock number two for me. Okay, go. Just to mention. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, go on. But it's a flat earth model with, you know, and the windows of heaven were literally windows in the firmament that you go through to heaven on the outside of the firmament. And the firmament was the water because during the creation, God split the waters below from the firmament and then land and and these different things. So that's how the flood happened because the waters from below and the waters in the firmament came down and it all works in the old kind of Babylonian flat earth, you know, that kind of model. So Mormons do believe that or they, no, if they, if they believe in the Bible and the, some of the teachings of Joseph Smith that are all based on the Hebrew Bible, um, then they, if you said to them, you're a flat earther, they would be like totally weirded out. And they, they tell you, no, I'm not, don't be stupid. But, um, yeah, if they believe in, in that, those scriptures, then yeah, they are. Let me see if I can get, oh, if you okay. t- tell me, yeah. tell me about do you have a your, picture. Do you have a picture of it? You, the you, you, t- you tell me about your, your shock, I guess, and I'll try and find a picture. Okay. So yeah, this is a, another thing that was a huge shock for me, you know, after I stopped, you know, being active in the Jehovah's Witness religion. And after I started like just reading other material outside information, um, the shock was that I found out because I always believed that the Bible is scientifically accurate. It says that the earth is a sphere or it's round. But in my research, I found out that, the I mean, yes, the earth is a circle, but in the original Hebrew, it doesn't translate as beer. Like, it's actually a, a flat earth model, just like you're talking about. Yeah. And I mean, of course, I don't believe in the flat earth earth or nothing like that but but that was a shock to find out that the bible is not scientifically accurate in the way that i grew up that was a shock. well <laughs> no, I I, <laughs> and so but i guess the, the more you study the original hebrew the more you see that back then the bible writers and everyone in that culture they believed in a dome the earth was shaped like a dome, just like a, what's it called? One of those things you shake, the globes. A snow globe, yeah. Yeah, yeah a snow I, globe. I've got yeah. the image. Okay, here we go. Yeah, like, yeah, this was a huge shock for me. Yeah. So the ancient Israelites divided the world into heaven, earth, sea, and the underworld. Um, and, yeah, so a lot of things that, People will talk about like you pay your tithing, so the windows of heaven will be opened, and the blessings will pour out. Where the windows and the doors of heaven are in the firmament. Oh, that's what it was believed to be. Yeah, uh, and know, there's scriptures the... that say it's a, uh, it's actually made out of rock. If you look in the Hebrew. Well, there you go. Uh, like, well, yeah, so the, 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 the sky is made out of rock, almost yeah, like the, a mirror. And there's waters above that firmament. Um, and that's where kind of the flood 
comes in because I always used to say to people, if the world was literally flooded, where did the water go? And there's there's a lot more water in this model. So and that the the sun, the moon, the stars, etc., are all inside the firmament, and that you've got the foundation of heavens, which is where the firmament is founded, and then the great deep, and then uh, the underworld, Sheol. Um, was a watery, dusty prison from which no one returned. Um, but yeah, it's, it's the world was viewed as a disc floating on the waters, secured or moored by pillars. The earth was the only known domain. The realm beyond it was considered unknowable. So that's I found that interesting uh, when someone said to me, you know, if you go with the, the old Bible description of the earth, that is a flat earth description. Or just like, you know, if you go with the old Bible, you believe it's a literal seven days that the earth was created in. Yeah. You know, or you can try to get around that by saying, oh, it's symbolic each day, you know, but. <laughs> did did, did um, something that we always used to say that I was always taught as well, it might be like, one day might have been millions and millions of years, like people say the day of the dinosaurs. You know, it's like a figurative thing. And the day is just used because everyone knows what a day is, but it's just a period of time. So it might have been four billion years the first day, and then the next day was a million years, and then the next day was 24 hours because that was really quick. You know yeah. what I mean? Uh, most Jehovah's Witnesses don't know this, but. Um, we used to believe that each day was 7,000 years long. Exactly. That's interesting. And so when you add up, so then a day for a year, so 7,000 is, or so seven days is, you know, 7,000. And so when you add up all the days, 7,000 times seven is 49,000. And so when the Old Testament talks about um, the Jubilee happening on the 50th year. So they thought Armageddon was going to come on the 50,000th year or the 49,000th year, something like that. I mean, it, so up until the 1980s, Jehovah's Witnesses, this was taught still. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that, yeah, most JWs don't know that. Now they just say, oh, we don't know. Each, each day is X amount of time, like millions of years or thousands of years. Yeah. Well, I mean, Mormonism, um, yeah, a thousand years. One day is a thousand years. Um, and then 7,000 for the week. So that would mean that the earth was like 13,000 years old from the time of Adam. Yeah. Oh, no, 12,000 because there was six days, day of rest, then Adam. Yeah, 13,000. Um, but then there was the, the whole age of the dinosaurs and different things like that. But then um, it's then there was a good one. What did they say? Oh, oh then there's the people who obviously say, we just don't know. We'll find out in the next life. It doesn't matter. There's thought-stopping <laughs> things. Yeah. So. But it's like um, people are, you know, holding on to this book, you know, how to make it true for my reality. 
you know, was it seven, a literal 7,000 years? Was it a period of time, you know? And I mean, that was a lot of mental gymnastics for me, you know? <laughs> and then I learned the, this, this earth dome thing. And I'm like, oh, it actually makes sense that they believed that back then. You know, they believed differently back then. Yeah. And to them, that made total sense to us now you know, technology moves on. One of my things when people say to me, oh, science is like back to what you originally said about um, people used to think the earth was flat and now we know it's round. Um, so science is always changing. But for me, that is um, the strength of science. The fact that it can change, it isn't fixed. And I think that's the downfall of religion sometimes that they say this is god's truth and god is the same yesterday today and forever and then tomorrow they change god's truth and then you're like Whoa. you changed it and that no we didn't change it that wasn't what god said yesterday and i'm like <laughs> but if i rewind you said that's what god's no, no 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 we were just talking as men then god has now said this and that's different and Whereas with science, I just like the fact that um, I'm a scientist by trade and you can go back through the decision-making process and see why someone made a decision. And then if it's changed later on, you can see the evidence that changed it. You know what I mean? Yeah, but the whole point is you can test it. And I think you can do the same thing with religion or with beliefs of the Bible or whatever, you know? Like, at least try to test it and see yeah. if it stands up to scrutiny or, you know, other facts. Well, let's talk about a difficult topic, which is um, disfellowship, being disfellowshipped and shunning, because as I understand it, there was a time that your mum was disfellowshipped and that you actually shunned her for a long time, for like 10 years. Yeah, and it's hard hearing that, and it's hard repeating that. Like, 10 years is a really long time. And, you know, it makes me sad to think about that. Um, but but it's just like the blood transfusion thing. Like, you do because um, that's what you, you're told, or that's what you believe you're supposed to do. Um, for those that don't know, um, Jehovah's Witnesses um, practice disfellowshipping, or, um, but the way they do excommunication is actually mandated shunning. So mm -hmm. it, it's not just the person's not a member anymore and that's it, you know, or if you want to associate with them, that's up to you. It's not like that. It's um, actually a mandated shunning. And they use scriptures like in First Corinthians chapter 5 to support that. And then they use another scripture, I think, in First John 3. Um, but they, yeah, they use scriptures to try to say that um, you can't even say agreeing to them or um, the way it's translated, you know, they say you can't even talk to them or anything. Yeah, it's unreal. Like because... they, they connect the scriptures together to, to make the policy the way it is right now. And so, um, yeah, I wasn't allowed to talk to my mom after she got disfellowshipped. And... But as I was growing up, Jehovah's Witness, there were many quotes in the literature 
that would strongly, strongly encourage me to take that stand because they believe that if you shun a person, you're rejecting the, um, them not be the course that they're living, or let's say they don't want to be a Jehovah's witness or they don't believe in it anymore or whatever. So yeah. you're rejecting that bad course. And so by you shunning them, it's going to help them come back to help them come to their senses. And so I really believe that this, that Jehovah's witnesses have the truth. And this is the only thing that will help my mom return to the truth. If I take this strong stand and, you know, it's something that many Jehovah's Witnesses struggle with. You know, they say, why, you know, why does God require this? And so, I mean, and then, but there's a lot of um, admonitions to follow that. Or, you know, we could, you could lose privileges or you could be marked as unexemplary in the congregation. Um, yeah, one, one thing that you've, so in these, I guess, um, excerpts that you sent me, one down here at the bottom from the Watchtower in 2014, are you personally proving yourself holy with regard to not associating with family members or others who have been disfellowshipped? That's unreal. Yeah. Or like, I think there's one quote there that says how her mom was disfellowshipped. And so it shared her experience, her being a faithful sister. And so she had to tell her mom that she won't associate with her anymore. And then the article commends her. So like, these are things that I was reading that told me, hey, this is the standard. Or this is the example I need to follow. Or God won't love me. Or God... Um, will destroy me at Armageddon later. Yeah, and I think it's the church's way of continuing to punish the other person. Well, two things. One is if there's one bad apple, you want to separate it from the good ones you got left. So if there's one person who's been disfellowshipped and they they are not loving the church, the witnesses or whatever it is you want to get that person away from all the other people who haven't yet found whatever they found and two is you disfellowship that person and cut them off but you go the extra mile by cutting them off from all of their family like and then people see that as the punishment and it ups the ante in this life you know i don't want to lose my family so i'm yeah. just going to go along with it so. It's like a mental torture. It's almost like another hell. Yeah. You know? And Seraphist Storms, uh, sorry, Seraphist Storms gets it right here, um, saying that Joe's witnesses shun openly, but Mormons do soft shunning while denying that it exists. And yeah, we're so sneaky about it. And, you know, you you just stop getting invited to family events like they'll be nice to you when they see you and they'll be like oh no nothing's changed but your yeah. kids stop getting invited to the parties and and jehovah's witnesses practice some um, different levels of shunning too um they also have something called marking it's when um they basically give a warning about you to the congregation in publicly but you're not disfellowshipped so you're still allowed to talk to them you just can't associate with them outside of church. Oh but you're, 
so that's basically it's almost like worse than disfellowshipping because at least when um your disfellowship if they announce you as reinstated you're reinstated you know they can talk to you now but if yeah. you're marked it's not like they make an announcement oh this person's not marked anymore or and then there's also like personal shunning you know um Jehovah's Witnesses, they might shun somebody because for whatever reason, you know, maybe they start growing a, a beard. <laughs> maybe they don't go to church anymore. You know, it could be any reason. Growing a beard or where you get that letter from the elders and they say, they call you to repentance because you're living with someone or something and that you need to come to the kingdom hall to, yeah sort yourself out southern yeah. southern boars lady they teach this fellowship in is love because god um is disciplining us how do you feel about that i don't know do they say something like that in the lds church or the the only one recently uh was an apostle who spoke at byu and he spoke about um loving jesus more than loving the sinner if you know what i mean and that sometimes you have to put jesus in front of familial relations um and take a break from those people sometimes but that is like as over as it possibly gets they would never stand up and say or at least these days they'd never stand up and say if your child is gay you must kick them out of the house and never speak to them ever again, you know, because that's their punishment. They'd never say that. They say, love, you know, love these people. I think the, the thing is love the person, but hate the sin or yeah, hate, the, I've heard hate the same thing, hate the sin, but loves love the sinner. Um, and which is so like, I'm in my ivory tower because I'm better than everyone else and everyone else down there below me. I love you all, but I hate the way you live your lives. Yeah. And like, um, in Jehovah's witnesses, they'll say that, um, well, we're not shunning them. They're shunning us because of them <laughs> making the choice to withdraw their membership or oh them making God. the decision to, 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 to lead to disfellowshipping. So they're shunning us by their actions and they knew what they were, that this was what would happen if they took that action. You know what, right? <laughs> when you watch in the movies and the husband is beating his wife and crying and he says, it hurts me to hurt you. And you are, you are, you're hurting me by making me hurt you in that abusive, yeah. that abusive relationship. And they, that's exactly what it is. It's an ab abusive relationship by making themselves the victim when really it's their actions. Cause they could say, okay, they've chosen their way, but we still want to love them. We still think family is important and it's up to you how you associate with them, but they don't, they give these rules. Um, so that it's their rules. They could change it. Yeah. And so I missed out on, a beautiful relationship with my mom for all those years I'm because sorry, she was wicked. You know, she was re not returning to the religion. She was not getting reinstated, you know, and, and that's something I regret. 
Yeah. Well, you have a relationship with her now? Uh, yes, I do. And awesome. I would say that my relationship with her is even better now than than all my years growing up as a Jehovah's Witness because, like, I don't know. It's like, so my mom did end up getting reinstated after those 10 years. Okay. Um, because she wanted a relationship with her kids. And I was really, really into the religion, so I was following the rules. And so she wanted to have a relationship with her kids and, or she got reinstated. And so, um, sorry, sorry, what was your question again? Um, how, so following all of that, how did you come to the point where oh, yeah. maybe you, you woke up or, well, you know. I treated, Oh yeah. So now my relationship is better with my mom because mm -hmm. so after she got reinstated, like there were so many things like, Oh, you know, she wasn't going to church still, or she wasn't preaching still yet, or she wasn't doing this. So it's like, instead of just loving her as my mom, I was saying, I love you, mom. But then deep down inside, I was like, you don't go to church or you don't do this or you don't do that, which are things that are constantly frowned upon, you know, in the religion. You know, if you're not doing those things, you're receiving constant <laughs> counsel about those things. So it's like I, I didn't really love my mom unconditionally. It was like I loved her because she was reinstated or because she was a Jehovah's Witness again. But then after I came to my senses, I realized, like, I need to love my mom unconditionally. Not because she's in the church again or not because she does this, this, or that, or what Jehovah's Witnesses say she's supposed to do. Yeah. And so, and I realized that with not just her, but other people too, you know, just to love people. Yeah. for who they are and to respect them yeah one of the worst things i hear people say and they don't a lot of mormons don't even like know that they're saying something that's horrible and that is i love you no matter what or no sorry that's that's a nice thing to say what they say is um i love you um re like regardless of all the other stuff you know i or i we still love you because what yeah. they're saying is um you know there's something wrong with you but i am a good enough person to love you despite what's wrong with you and i think that's yeah it's an awful thing to or, say or to say i still love you or yeah yeah we still love you like i've left the church oh well like, we, but, we still love you you'll come back one day yeah and i used to um i remember telling my mom because i really believed in um all these things i told her that you know i love jehovah more i love god more so i have to be loyal to him or faithful to him and what what he requires because it's in the bible wow and so that's why I couldn't have a, a relationship with my mom for all those years because I love God more. 
Okay. Well, how then did your Bible end oh. up <laughs> on? Uh, here you go. I found a holy scripture book today at off at the off ramp of the interstate near the Bear River bird refuge <laughs> it has the name on the book but no the information i am in brigham daily but live near ogden and it's got your name on it so what what, happened, does. what what took you from shunning mum and saying that you love the bible and jehovah more to <laughs> leaving your bible uh, i'm assuming throwing it out a window at an off ramp oh <laughs> that's not why i threw it because i was mad you know about okay about following you know following those rules okay uh, no um well when i was really active into the religion i i think i put my i was preaching and i put left my bible on top of my car and i okay. forgot it was on my car and so when i was driving on the interstate it probably flew off and so someone posted that ad on Man, trying to find that's... the owner that's that's not that's not as exciting as I thought it was. Okay, but okay, so now you're not an active Jehovah's Witness. Why? Well, I mean, the mental like the mental turmoil that I dealt with, you know, shunning my mom, like that's extreme, you know, doing that to because it's not only hard for the person that is being shunned. But it's hard for the person who's doing the shunning. And so, but I mean, that was a contributing factor, realizing that, you know, we need to show love. And that's not, we used to call it tough love. But mm. I realized that's not the proper love. It's not unconditional love. Yeah. And so... Well, I'm I'm glad that you're at a place now where you know you and your mum are, yeah. You you've you've got that relationship again, and you've found that. So, if there were any lessons, I guess, in life that you've taken from this whole kind of ordeal, what would they be? Well, like I never realized how judgmental I was when I was an active Jehovah's Witness. Like, as I was saying before, like, I would go preaching door to door, but in between doors, we would, we would be bad-talking the Mormons <laughs> or saying, yeah. oh, they have this wrong, they have that wrong. When in reality, Jehovah's Witnesses have their own problems, their mm -hmm. own doctrinal issues, their own, you know, they're imperfect, right? <laughs> Just like Mormons. And it's like, so why point the fingers at LDS or anyone else when it's like, we're not perfect either. And so I learned not to judge people anymore, regardless of like what they believe or what they, you know, for things like that. And, and not just that, like I used to look at people who smoke or people who have tattoos with like disgust or, mm -hmm. Oh, they're a bad person or they're an immoral person, or they probably do this or that or, just making prejudgments, but like, because there was a lot of things like that I judge. But now I just look at people as people. Yeah. Sometimes there's still judgments that I have because it's so deep inside me. But then I have to tell myself, like, like don't judge, <laughs> don't judge, <laughs> or why yeah. do I feel that way? You know. 
Yeah. Um, I think same. Yeah, go on. Oh, and then I was just going to say also I learned the lesson of unconditional love. Yeah. Because, um, and then I didn't mention this, but just like my mom, I also got disfellowshipped. So I got to see what the shunning was like. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started to question what I believe and, you know, my reasons for shunning people who are disfellowshipped or my reasons for why I follow these rules. And I never even researched my religion or the history of my religion. And and so now I'm here today. I'm trying to be a better person, not judge, trying to show unconditional love and not be so yeah. legalistic, you know? Yeah, and that that the fact that someone set down like lines and markers to separate us from the ones we love by saying if they reach if they breach that line you can't love them anymore is just horrible because you may not have that line you know what i mean like your unconditional love gets rid of those lines and you say no matter where you are no matter what you do i say it to my kids i'm i'm like don't feel that i'm going to judge you if you're in trouble if you're feeling bad don't think I can't talk to dad because dad's going to be angry. I can't call dad because he'll be angry. You know, I won't be, you know, I might be upset and that's my problem. Right. But I love you no matter what, no matter, you know, it's unconditional. And and I think that's, that's something that religion takes away because someone tries to place those conditions on us, you know, and, and they make us less than, in the eyes of those who try to love us, I guess. I don't know. We're getting we're getting really mushy now. Yeah, this, this, this is far too serious for a Sunday night. Um, <laughs> How can we liven it up? Yeah. Well, we're. You know what? I think we need to go down to the bar and have some shots. But for now. But hey, today's Sunday, you know, in Utah, and the liquor stores are closed. <laughs> yeah, we were I guess I didn't, some before. bars might be open. Yeah. Um, well, Ryan, thank you so much for the last two hours. Um, it's been great getting to know, I guess, your story and getting to know what it was like, not just not being a Mormon in Mormon, Utah, but being like a Jehovah's Witness, which is even worse than not being a Mormon. Like, you're not just not a Mormon, you're something else, which yeah. is looked on with discussed and which is wrong so thank you for coming out and for yeah telling us all because i think it was great to hear great for other people who will watch and think yeah that happened to me as well and find some comfort in the fact that there are others out there who can sympathize with them and they're not alone so yeah great thank you thank you for having me it was it was an honor yeah um thanks everyone who was here with us this evening if you've not already please hit the like button if you're not watching on youtube then please consider heading over to youtube and subscribing to the channel um if yeah we, it will really that's how you can support the channel just subscribe 
hit the like button and two minutes of your day maybe even share the video with other people who you think would be interested in what we've spoken about tonight but from me and from ryan we will catch you on the next one see ya see ya